Hello and welcome everybody to another special edition of the Wildstorm Addiction podcast. We have new to comics, the Ides of Blood writer, Stuart C. Paul. We're just going to let you listen to the interview and I hope everybody enjoys it. Take it away, Joe. Uh, thanks for agreeing to, to come on Wildstorm Addiction, Stu. Uh, we Actually, as we speak, we just released episode 12, um, which in which we review and gush about your first issue, so... Oh, wow. Uh, I will definitely check that out. <laughs> so, thank you. No problem. All right, Ben, I believe you're up first on this one. <laughs> uh, this is pretty simplistic. We'll start out s- slow and you know, build from here on out to where you're solving crazy calculus problems at the end of this interview. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> With vampires. We'll keep it in theme, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you're very good at math. <laughs> Uh, Stu, this is your first comic, correct? Correct. I, I know you have a few TV shows you've you've worked on. Are there any other forms of media you've worked on yet? Well, I should say this is my first published comic. I um, did get some work from a, a company uh, that, unfortunately, was not the uh, greatest company in the world. They seem to uh, enjoy hiring people to write comics in the hopes of making properties for Hollywood and such, uh, but they don't actually publish comics. Marvel, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so I, I actually wrote two things for them. One I actually I, I really like. The other one I uh, pretty much just did because they would pay me. Uh, but it allowed me to you know, cut my teeth uh, writing comic script format a bit. Um, so I think ultimately it worked out all for the better. But uh, other mediums, I mean, uh, pretty much anything uh, that you can name that involves the writing of some sort. Um, I don't know. Maybe you can come up with a few I haven't done. Uh, I've not carved hieroglyphics on uh, pyramids or anything. But um, Synopses for the Apple iTunes store. <laughs> right. <laughs> How's the transition been between you know writing for a show versus writing scripting for a comic? Uh, it's been kind of freeing uh, to be able to be as uh, sort of dense as I need to be in the descriptions, since I'm actually communicating with an artist um, instead of you know if you're writing a TV show or a screenplay, you don't. Uh, it's frowned upon to step on the director's toes or to, uh, you know, you're basically trying to sell to executives who don't like to read, so you can't be that descriptive. And so it just allows me to really get more specific about what I want to show. With TV and film, you uh, you have a budget, uh, and if you want a, you know, vampire shape-shifting battle across the rooftops of Rome, that's like $10 million. But uh, an artist can do that uh, for a page rate. So uh, it allows uh, you know, my imagination to uh, be a little bit more free in that respect. I thought you were going to say like $9 million. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. One day, Christian Duce will. <laughs> Uh, okay, so good. I'm glad we are saying his name right then, Duce. <laughs> um, I think I don't know. 
because uh, <laughs> I even asked Hank there at Comic Con. He's like, "Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's how you say it." <laughs> so, what so, made you decide to venture into comics, Stu? It was uh, a fortunate hap- happenstance. I sort of came in the back door, I suppose, sort of in the way that uh, a lot of uh, probably comic readers may uh, look down upon, perhaps, uh, that in that I was a screenwriter who had a screenplay and was meeting with DC and said, hey, I think this would make a good graphic novel. And uh, they said yes and did the whole, you know, so, you know, I'm doing the whole sort of retrofitting thing, going from the movie project to the comic. Uh, but I, I like to uh, feel that uh, I-, I did it with as much integrity as one can. I uh, tried to embrace the comic medium and tell the story in a different way than I would have for film. And really, just I, I did really fall in love with the medium as I was uh, uh, doing that, so... I think that stigma's kind of going away, Stu. Yeah. I mean, you see it at San Diego how closely, you know, movies are with comics, and I, I think maybe the older diehards still have that. But yeah, I mean, I don't have a problem with it. I I don't think Joe has a problem with it either. Oh no, no. I mean, yeah, that was I mean, one thing that was yeah obvious while we were at the con, you know, that everything's just kind of blended together. I mean, that's why they keep talking about how San Diego's becoming more commercials because everything's starting to intertwine you know it's not so segmented anymore yeah but i mean the fact does remain that um i I don't know there's still anytime you're dealing with uh anything with hollywood there's going to be a certain douchebag quota that's going to be filled (laughs) (laughs) so it, it it you know, it can kind of go either way in that respect. And again, I'll reiterate, in comics, you still have that quota. <laughs> yeah. <so>. yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> but now they're trolls on the internet. <laughs> Who are some of your influences as a writer? Well, let's see. Um, Stephen King was a big one. Neil Gaiman I, uh, was actually the first guy that got me reading comics as an adult through uh, Sandman. But really, probably the biggest influence was uh, Star Trek, specifically uh, Iris Stephen Bear, Ronald Moore, the sort of Deep Space Nine guys that uh, took over uh, around uh, season three or four and uh, took it from there. Um, that's my favorite uh, television show ever, and I mean, some of my favorite sci-fi ever. The way they told stories and interwove politics and sci-fi and social commentary religion uh characters it uh i think that kind of stuck with me and uh that has always kind of been the number one for me and that was ds9 you said yeah i mean obviously before that i was next generation and original series uh Mm -hmm. but i think deep space nine that's the one that i truly believed achieved greatness I mean, I'm fans of other people, but as far as people I would really call influences, those are the big ones. Yeah, Stephen Stephen King, obviously, like you said, was a big one. Uh, I assume, have you ever read his book on writing? Yes. You know, it's an amazing book. <laughs> it's an, I found it an amazing book just because he's a great writer and he tells great stories and it's interesting. His life is really interesting. Um but from a practical perspective, I don't know how useful it was, maybe, because it, I thought it, basically it boiled down to, if you want to write, write a lot, and don't use adjectives. 
Uh, <laughs> we're like, and but I mean, I remember obviously those two points, and like, I can't really remember what Alan Moore wrote in his writing for comics book. So the fact mm-hmm. that he did hammer those points home, I guess maybe that's more important than uh, yeah. having a lot of esoteric points. Yeah, I took it as the closest I'd ever get to having a candid conversation with him because that's basically the way he wrote it. So, Yeah. Oh, um, influences, I completely ignored movies because movies are kind of where I really started hardcore focusing on writing uh, when I was a teenager. My biggest influences there would be uh, Sergio Leone. I watched The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and it completely redefined what I thought movies and westerns were capable of. Park Chan-wook, obviously, I'm a huge fan, but also just his style, storytelling, and sort of really out there, hyperbole, and you know, he doesn't shy away from things. I really like that. And then uh, Kubrick in 2001, also uh, really big. And lately, I have to say, uh, also, Christopher Nolan, for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. When I saw Memento, I remember literally I was walking around in circles in an antique shop afterwards thinking <laughs> about that movie. I was lucky. It was before the whole pirating movies sort of anti-propaganda thing really got big. I actually bootlegged the movie at a movie theater just because uh, at that point I'd gone to see it like six times and I wanted to keep watching it at home. And so, yeah, I bootlegged it. They caught me. And uh, <laughs> fortunately, I was like, I was a, I was a really young looking teenager. So it's like they weren't going to call the cops on me, but they took my tape and I ended up with half the movie. <laughs> Uh, so there was that, and uh, well, then lately, it worked out. Otherwise, we wouldn't be having this conversation with you, I guess, or at least. Yeah. <laughs> and then Inception, uh, I am of the opinion it's a masterpiece. So, oh yeah, have you seen it yet, Ben? I hadn't even chance to ask you. There are so many movies that I've missed this summer. No, I, I have yet to see it. Oh, okay, we won't spoil it for you, but you you must go see that movie. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> the the end, like half hour is kind of like the end gunfight of Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, except it's like ten times longer, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so where did your inspiration for Ides of Blood come from? Basically, I was, I was going to be uh, going to a uh, meeting with a comic book company, and I was like, okay, let's think about some uh, comic ideas. Uh, what kind of kinds of things... Uh, you know, our, our subject matters for comics. And I was like, okay, genre stuff, vampires. And I was like, vampires are boring. I, I, there's, uh, I don't really like any vampire things that much. Um, what would I have to do to make vampires interesting to me? For whatever reason, Julius Caesar popped into my head. And I really liked that idea. And it stuck around for a while. And then finally, uh, I decided to write it. You can thank the emasculation of all males and all vampires to uh, not liking vampires these days. Well, I mean, <laughs> this was uh, a good number of years before the saturation of the vampire uh, market. I think it was, you know, it was after Underworld had come out before the sequel, but nobody had heard of or anything like that. That is a bit of solace that I 
personally hold that like the, this idea was not born out of uh, some desire to uh, take advantage of the market. I was gonna say for not for not what did you, you said something about you didn't really like vampires for not liking them. Uh, you sure know how to write them well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, I mean, you know, uh, once I found something that excited me about them, you know, putting them in ancient Rome and seeing what that did to the mythology. I mean, okay, then they suddenly became interesting. Just the basic uh, modern-day vampire. Uh, I mean, I like Salem's Lot. I liked, I'm trying to think back then, before Let the Right One In came out, which is probably my favorite vampire thing. Um, There wasn't much I liked. I really hate The Lost Boys. Uh, <laughs> I was actually about to poke fun at you about that. I was gonna say, "What? No lost voice?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <heard> my... uh, <laughs> you don't yeah, like I mean, the mullet, the mullet-haired vampires, you know? No. Little... <laughs> y- you know, actually, I probably now I would l- probably I would accept going back and watching it just for the sheer enjoyment of how bad it is. But at the time, like, I remember I had to watch it for a film class, and it was just, compared to other good movies we actually got to see, it was pretty disappointing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, vampires, especially in movies, they, they've always been kind of stupid, I guess. Near Dark was good. Uh, I only saw that recently. And I mean, uh, Nosferatu, the, you know, the old one, that's got a really great mood. Even some of the ones that I thought I would love like Shadow of the Vampire. Like how awesome is that idea that they were filming Nosferatu and the guy was an actual vampire. Like that's a vampire concept that excites me. That's actually like an original take on on it, but unfortunately like that fell flat. Oh, Martin, that's the other vampire thing I I do like uh and you know that's really not in any way a traditional vampire story because it's not supernatural. Uh, do, you, do you guys know that movie? Nah, nah. It's a George yeah. Romero movie about a kid who believes he's a vampire, but he goes around, drugs women with a hypodermic needle, and cuts them, and drinks their blood. And it's, you know, sort of this Oedipus sexual thing he has. And it's just this really great sort of character study. That's cool. And you check that out. Yeah, I, I mean, I get what you're saying about about searching for different. It's almost like the superhero movies. It's like before 2000, it was hard to find, you know, the good ones are far and few, you know, between. So it's probably the same with vampire movies if we really went back and studied it, you know. I mean, the Todd Browning Dracula has great a great mood. Uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, though, you know, the character entered the popular consciousness and that really lasted. But uh, the book itself, I just don't like the sort of epistolary, I think that's the term, you know, letter-writing style mm-hmm. of it. What vampire movies do you guys like, or, or stories, or what, whatever? Uh, for me, I guess I'm kind of like you. If, you. if you throw me something different, then I'll enjoy it. I, I, the Underworld movies got better as they went along. Uh, I really enjoyed those. Haven't seen Interview with Vampire for a long time, but I remember liking it at the time. Even stuff like True Blood, at first I was kind of iffy about it, but I've, but I've got into it. So, I mean, with me, it's like if you if you put a different twist on it, which is why I'm enjoying Ides of Blood so much, then, then I can enjoy it. Because otherwise, yeah, I, I, I feel like I've seen it before. Or, you know, Vampires is just such a such a constant in, you know, the genre thing. Yeah, it needs some new flavor if, if you're going to do something. That's, that's, that's why, like I said, we're really 
so far, you know, enjoying your story because, I mean, even even little things you put in there, like the fact that you had, you know, your main character morph into a wolf instead of just, you know, traditionally going automatically to a bat. I thought that was a cool twist on it that you've got them shape-shifting into different things. And I know we... uh we thought that the uh, even the little details that you do, uh, Ben brought up in the podcast about the the way you use the wax to imprint the vampire's teeth. That was pretty pretty slick. <laughs> so, All right, cool. Little things like that, you know, keep it fresh. You know, because I'm all about classic ideas like this, putting you spin on them. So personally, I can't particularly say that it's a genre that I seek out. Like I'll consume it, but it's it's not something that I go after. Yeah. But yeah, like the shape-shifting into a wolf thing, I, th- I think that idea just came because of like Dracula's uh, association with being able to control wolves on the one hand, but also because the Dacian religion is very wolf-heavy. Their priests would dress up in skinned wolves and stuff like that, and uh, there was lots of wolves around the Carpathians and stuff. So uh, I thought that... Uh, the wolf actually made more sense for uh, an animal that would be linked to vampires in this world than the bat. Although, obviously, I still used the bat because there's different bloodlines. Because uh, why do one when you can do them all? Yeah, that was where that idea came from. Stu, thanks for the good segue. <laughs> for a period piece like this and the genre that you're tackling, what kind of research did you have to do? A good amount. A good amount. Uh you know, I did a lot of uh, Roman research, obviously. Uh, my favorite one was this thing, Handbook to Life in Ancient Rome, that just had, like, everything you could possibly want to know. E- every detail, every word, every time I had a question, this book had it. And uh, I read uh, The Assassination of Julius Caesar by this guy Michael Parenti, which he kind of, you know, paints Caesar as more of a hero that was slain not due to his uh, ambition so much as he was challenging the aristocracy, their wealth, and their power, which um, I think there's some truth in that. I, but I think that, you know, there's also, uh, I mean, the guy was dictator for life. I mean, he clearly was uh, not the most democratically minded guy. But it was good to uh, get that as far as not painting Caesar as uh, the tyrant. Uh, there was some uh, classic uh, uh, works by like Suetonius and Plutarch about Caesar, Antony, Cicero that were really cool. Uh, Dacia, though, uh, the Transylvanian, the ancient uh, Transylvanian Empire or uh, country, that was tough to find research on. It, there was a little bit on the internet, but... I found two books that were really helpful. One by a dude named Parvan that uh, was kind of an older, I think he wrote it in the late 1800s, maybe early 1900s, but it had some good stuff about their culture. The other one was called Zelmoxis, the Vanishing God, that was all about their religion. And so they were, you know, some obscure things, but helped out a lot. The kind of really interesting thing that, you know, I obviously because this is an alternate history tale you know you take some liberties you change some things around but oddly enough the Dacian king named Burabista was assassinated the same year 
that Caesar was, which I um, didn't, you know, end up specifically referencing. But uh, Valens's Dossian name is Jakob uh, from the clan of the Burabista. So uh, I have always uh, had in the back of my mind planned that uh, if by some stroke of luck I ever get the, the chance to tell more stories in this world, I will explain the link between Valens and this uh, historical figure. Cool. Yeah, that's really cool way to do due diligence. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, and we and you and you can tell as you're reading it. I mean, we we could tell uh, uh, that you put a lot of work into this. You know, a lot of a lot of research. I mean, it didn't it didn't feel like like you were just kind of glossing over some of the information here. I mean, everything that goes on in here feels you know purposed and like you just didn't throw it in there to just remind us. Oh, I'm gonna have a, a scene where they're all talking. You know, to remind us that we're in ancient Rome and there's always a council meeting. You know. <laughs> uh, so that was that was cool. You know, all all that really does does come through. You know, in this issue, uh, how did you get hooked up with artist Christian Duce for this project? My editor at DC, Shannon Eric Denton, uh, hooked us up. I think somebody mentioned at SDCC that he's from Brazil. Is that correct? Uruguay. And uh, is is he doing his work here, or or is he shipping over? stuff or how is that how is that relationship working between you two well he you know i mean he uh just emails uh, over all the the pages and uh and initially i uh didn't really have any interaction with him it was kind of actually astounding for me um having come from tv and film where you turn in a draft you do producers notes and all that and revisions for another at least like you know another few draft or two before anything actually happens in this case i sent in you know my draft and suddenly pencils are coming back uh so i was kind of actually surprised how fast everything moved anyway the point is at first um we didn't have much interaction but as it went on occasionally you know he'd have a question about something and and now we interact uh quite a bit and uh bounce things back and forth and he has been really great about being uh, collaborative and working hard uh, I mean fortunately I don't have to give him much direction at all because he really gets it uh, I mean that was what surprised me it was just how perfectly he, he it, we saw the same uh, the same thing in our heads uh, he saw it a little better because he's a much better artist than I am but uh, yeah he uh, you know he's I, as far as his plans for the future, I, you know, I'm sure he's probably going to be uh, doing more stuff for DC and Marvel. Right now, he is coloring the uh, fourth issue uh, of Ides. I, I personally just hope that uh, I can keep working with him on uh, the next thing because uh, he's good, and uh, I really uh, think uh, we understand each other well. So, so then, basically, you guys have never met. No, no. Yeah, that 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 there was something about I don't know talking to you there at the con or or, or reading this that that kind of gave that sense that, that you guys had never met. That's that's amazing that that this has come together so well. You know, simply by you know email and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's really the, cool. The wonders of our modern world. Yeah, hopefully one day. Uh, I, I want to you know go down to like Peru and stuff someday. So I. Hopefully, I'll stop off in Uruguay and uh, meet him sometime. 
What about uh, cover artist Michael Geiger? Is that how you say his name? I don't know. I, I believe so. But uh, no, I, uh, I never met him, never uh, spoke with him. Just uh, he did his thing, and uh, he makes some beautiful covers. Oh, yeah, he does. That's why I was going to ask if you had any input in those because, <laughs> you know, they, they, it seems to be pushing more towards the symbolic. I'm especially curious about the double-headed calf in the background. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. Oh, yes. That, well, that um, – because actually the cover that they're using for the first issue was designed for the second issue. And uh, Wildstorm wanted – thought that, uh, you know, it, this, the cover read a little bit more just, you know, vampires meet Caesar – uh, so they wanted it to be the lead-off cover. But in the second issue, there's a mention of uh, the omens that occur the night before of Caesar's assassination, one of which is a calf which was born with two heads. I mean, that was just a line of dialogue that he took from the script and uh, ended up putting into the cover. So it, it's pretty cool to see what he picked out in that respect. Yeah, no, that that's just amazing to me that you basically you got three guys, you know, who have never met and have put together such a great comic. Because for the most part, I, I guess we just take for granted a lot of people in the industry, for the most part, get to, you know, meet and talk. And especially with, you know, all the different conventions they can meet at and stuff. But, but wow, this just seems like a, a very unique scenario in your case, you know. <laughs> I well, mean, that's just amazing to me. <laughs> it's kind of nice that... Uh, a uh, comic about this foreign land and cultures, the, the mix of cultures uh, has sort of come about through the same thing, I guess. Yeah, and you really got a, a good one in Christian, by the way. His art is amazing. I mean, from the first time that I saw the, the four-page four preview, I was like, wow. I, I just wanted to see more just, you know, based on the art. And, of course, once I started reading... That just hooked me. It's so detailed and it's so perfect, you know, for the story. You're in for some treats with, because, uh, yeah, there's some great images coming up that he just is spectacular with. Personally, what I am looking forward to a lot right now is uh, issue three, where we get uh, basically half the issue as a uh, gladi- vampire gladiator cage match. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> don't give too much away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, tease away. Tease away. Don't listen to him. <laughs> Stu, you mentioned uh, a couple other projects that you were working on before Eyes of Blood actually got published. Were there any of those projects that you worked on that you had hoped maybe got published first or, or something that you really... Uh, held to your heart that you've really, really wanted to get out before Eyes of Blood? Um, I mean, you mean in the comic medium specifically or just in general? I guess in general, but but more specifically comics. Yeah, well, no, I mean, I knew that Eyes of Blood was going to be the lead-off, the first comic. Um, like I said, there was a comic I wrote. It was called Dying Breed. I mean, the concept was given to me by the producer and it was essentially scientists discover a chromosome in the human dna that is basically a clock counting down i guess it's a little bit like death note if you saw that and it was kind of like a three days of the condor kind of uh story i mean i uh i had separated myself from any hope of that ever getting published a while ago so you know i ides was where uh, my heart was at as far as that goes 
but there was a big uh, project that I had, had kind of taken up a good year of my life that was for TV, um, which was, oh, actually, Ides of Blood allowed it to happen because my uh, manager had sent the screenplay for Ides of Blood to these TV producers, and uh, they said, you know, we're not looking to make a uh, Roman vampire TV show, but what we do want to do is make a caveman TV show for uh, a certain channel, um, (laughs) um, which, uh, you know, likes to show men doing manly things. Um, (laughs) But uh, (laughs) anyway, they wanted, you know, like a one-hour drama, completely serious caveman show. And I was like, oh, my gosh, uh, how many times am I going to get offered a project like this? And we ended up, I wrote the pilot and everything. What uh, we kind of, there's this movie Quest for Fire that was really kind of the gold standard as far as inspiration of how great this could be. Uh, And we did it with no spoken dialogue um, in the sense of, the concept was uh, that it, it takes place during the intersection of Neanderthals and Homo sapiens. Uh, at the brief moment of history where they overlapped right before the Neanderthal extinction. Basically, you know, the Neanderthals, there's a lot of speculation whether they had language or the capacity for speech. Um, based on my research, uh, I think, you know, they, pro- they had the ability to make sounds. Some level of speech they could probably have the ability to do. Uh, I don't think their, the structure of their brains suggests uh, language whereas Homo sapiens obviously did have language. So we have the Neanderthals, which are basically, you know, doing the grunts and uh, sort of primate-based sounds for communication. And you have the Homo sapiens, and they basically were going to communicate by, we were going to make up our own language for the mother tongue of humanity. But no subtitles. Uh, Everything was going to be through context. Uh, We wrote the script, and... I mean, I think, and I think everybody felt like, wow, this actually could work. And, you know, like most things in Hollywood, it was right about to, uh, and, oh, uh, about to happen. We had um, Jack Bender, the uh, director and executive producer of Lost, was on board. Uh, he was a great guy. And, uh, but, you know, as in Hollywood, uh, nothing actually uh, uh, is uh, certain until it's in the can and released so there is still hope that it will happen on another channel um yeah that was kind of you know that was a a big disappointment uh that uh uh, that didn't happen i would love to do it as a comic because uh i think uh since we don't have any you know conventional dialogue it actually lends itself pretty well to uh the comic medium but uh, unfortunately, I don't get the rights back from uh, Universal for like another three years. So maybe in three years, it'll happen. Yeah, well, you can tell a lot of those stories in three years before then, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think you, you might have mentioned this earlier, and obviously we don't want you to spoil anything, but kind of a two-part question. Does Ides of Blood end with a potential for a sequel? And regardless of whether it does or not, do you have any other projects that are in the pipe that you can talk about? Yeah, well, Ides of Blood definitely has uh, sequel uh, possibilities. Uh, I, there were, uh, I mean, I'll, 
I'll just say flat out, I want to go to Egypt, I want to do the Cleopatra thing, and see how she plays into the vampire mythology of this world, because she actually, um, you know, she's part of the whole Caesar mythos. You know, I wanted to use her originally, but I just didn't have the time, and it distracted from the plot so much once you bring Cleopatra into it, but uh, historically she was actually in Rome when Caesar was assassinated, uh, which is pretty interesting. Um, mm. And, you know, they, they had a kid. Uh, speculation continues whether it was actually Caesar's uh, seed. But, um, yeah, I, I want to... Uh, and there's obviously Valens. Uh, you know, the, the Dossian people have... Uh, <laughs> 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 okay, well, anyway, the answer is yes. Um... <laughs> and uh, yes, and the Pluto's Kiss Killer's real identity is. Uh, <laughs> uh, we all know it's but, Russell Crowe already. <laughs> <laughs> the the other project I have that uh, it's in the works. I don't want to say too much about it, uh, but it's a neo samurai uh, thing. Is kind of how you could de- describe it. Um, it's also it's another alternate history tale, but it's. Uh, it's set in more modern times, and uh, it's called Bushido 44 to reflect the uh, character's main weapon, which is a uh, katana blade that has been forged onto a 44 Magnum. He likes to say that it's what would happen if Zatuichi's sword and Dirty Harry's gun had a one-night stand. <laughs> um, is that some of the artwork you were showing us there at the con? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're we're doing sample pages right now, and so, you know, it doesn't have a publisher or anything yet, uh, but it's a passion project for me. Um, Did you hear that, Wildstorm? I am writing, uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of research for it, watching a lot of samurai movies, and uh, I'm writing uh, the first uh, two scripts right now, uh, just doing some revisions on them, and... uh, I am really looking forward to uh, getting this one out there. Uh, also, especially because um, you, you always learn uh, from you know everything you write, and uh, one of my goals is you know for this is pr- to uh, probably take off, shave off uh, a panel or two every page. Um, I tend to be dense, and so uh, I, I want the art. And the action to really shine through as much as possible. That's yeah, kind I, will, of a, I will tell everybody listening that that the the art that we saw at SDCC that Stu shared with us is really fun. Some really fun ideas in in this series that he's talking about. I mean, I, <laughs> there was one character in particular that that uh, I can't wait to see in action. Um, I'll just say there was something interesting about his nether regions. That's all. I <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Bartowski. Uh, 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 yeah, I, I I got to go to Japan uh, on vacation recently, and it was perfect timing just because my wife and I had been wanting to go there for a long time, and I knew I was going to be doing this, and so I got to do. I'll just immerse myself in uh, 
that experience. And uh, man, Japan is just, it really is like another world. Uh, it's great there. The thing I, I really love too is just their crappy TV makes our crappy TV look like it, you know, the Sopranos or something. Uh, <laughs> it, it is amazing that some of the stuff they put on TV it exists. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> All right. I was I was starting to feel like the third wheel there for a second, not in on the joke, but. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Something to look forward to, hopefully. <laughs> it's like, I can't, I can't tell, like, you know. You haven't, you haven't uh, seen any uh, Japanese TV? Oh, no, no, no. No, I just meant about the artwork. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, oh. Definitely seen some crappy Japanese TV. <laughs> <laughs> and you can thank Spike TV for bringing some of it over here. Exactly. <laughs> NG4. Yeah. So, Stu... Here at Wildstorm Addiction, we have kind of a one-track mind. So, <laughs> along that vein, are you familiar with Jim Lee's Wildstorm universe and its characters and titles? And if so, are there any characters or titles that you would like to tackle for Wildstorm? You know, I have read his initial Wildcats run. I have read Alan Moore's Wildcats you know, I've read scattered issues of the authority, but uh, I I feel a, a bit ashamed talking to Wildstorm Addiction and admitting that uh, <laughs> I, I, I myself am not addicted uh, to Wildstorm. Oh no no no! The no nothing nothing beats uh, our interview with Steve Niles. If you listen to that, yeah. <laughs> he, he didn't even give Ben a chance to finish that question, and he said no. It was fantastic. <laughs> Like really, not even Wetworks, which has vampires in it. He's like, nope, no. I'm like, all right. <laughs> At least he's honest. <laughs> it's okay. I got your back, Stu, because since you mentioned that you like DS9, Wildstorm has the perfect title for you because it takes place on a space station, <laughs> and that would be Stormwatch. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I'll check that out. Well, actually, yeah. that that brings up a good point. Um, I actually was a big fan of. Uh, Wild Wildstorm's uh, Star Trek comics when they uh, had the rights and were doing that um, before IDW. Uh, well, it, it was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you say so much by saying nothing at all. <laughs> Seriously, though, I mean, if you really liked uh, DS9 and you like that setting, you know, Stormwatch. You know, theirs takes place on on their Skywatch space station, and, and there's always been one incarnation of it in, you know, one way or another. Right now, you know, Adam Beechin is using it in, in the Wildcats run because all the Stormwatch characters got spread all over the place when their title got canceled. But yeah, if you really, I mean, if you really liked that setting, then I could so see you writing that because uh, you could just pull from your DS9 love and feed it into Stormwatch. So. Yeah. Um, I will definitely check it out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I liked um, I, I, I liked uh, Alan Moore's run on Wildcats. I mean, it, it's it's not like you there aren't Alan Moore things that uh, that I don't really care for. But uh, you know, he he's a good he's a great writer, so it, it's tough to uh, not enjoy what he writes. 
Yeah. Um, well, we'll we'll close this off with kind of a fun question. You kind of already half answered this because uh, we we talked about the the vampire movies. Because I was going to ask you what what your favorite either movies or or TV shows depicting vampires were. But the other part of the question was, what's your favorite movie or TV show depicting ancient Rome? Okay. Yeah. Um, Rome on HBO was a masterpiece. You know, I, wa- I definitely I watched that uh, around the same time I initially had started working on uh, IDES. And it was sort of, part of it was daunting because it, it's like, wow, they did Rome so good. But it was also kind of freeing because it was like, okay, well, they went one route with it. I'm going to go like the more pulpy route with it. And so it kind of, by seeing other people do something kind of to perfection almost, it kind of frees you from trying to go down that path and you can sort of do your own thing. But um, yeah, man, I mean, that first season building up to the assassination, I was all over that. Um, (laughs) The... The second season, it, it was also good, but it just it doesn't, didn't quite hold a candle to the first. Um, and I really liked the, that kid that played Octavian uh, in the first season. And so, you know, it, it was tough for that guy that replaced him to fill his shoes in the second. And as far as movies, let's see. I mean, Spartacus, the Kubrick one, is great. Um... Oh, come on. There's, there's one big one oh. that I can't believe you're leaving out. <laughs> well, I, I, what, are you thinking about Gladiator? Yes. Or, yeah. Because um, I was going to say, everybody I talk to, I, I describe your book as Gladiator with Vampires. Because so far, that's what it seems like, you know. But that's cool because they're like, oh, really? You know, that gets them excited. Yeah, Gladiator is a fantastic movie. Um it holds up really well, I think. Uh, I mean, Ridley Scott, he's kind of almost become a pastiche of himself doing that movie now, mm-hmm. but um, that was definitely an influence for sure. Um, that's one of my favorites. Although, I don't know if this counts as like a Rome movie. No, it doesn't. I No. I, I was thinking of... <laughs> I was thinking of Hercules and the Land of the Dead or the World of the Dead because mm-hmm. uh, I got it. W- I saw it as a double feature with um, a movie by Corbucci about the founding of Romulus, uh, Romulus and Remus uh, founding the Roman Empire, um, which is a lot of fun too. But it's not my. Mm. That, that's that's not my favorite. Yeah, I, I guess I would. It's tough to beat Gladiator. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's cool I just wanted to see if I could get you to recall it before I pushed it on you like that no. <laughs> like we said we are really enjoying this series and um, look forward to it I mean it's it's definitely it's definitely on my on my books I look forward to now because um, it was such a strong first issue and I love the way everything has come together, you know, because to me, when a comic comes together is when all aspects come together, not just the writing, but the art, you know, the coloring, everything has to come together. And so far in this one, it is. And I, I, I'd be very surprised if it doesn't keep it up, you know, because (laughs) the first 
you know, first issue, first impression, you know, I, I'm sure we're gonna we're gonna get you know five five more solid issues based on what you presented here. So, you know, um, hope hope everybody else will give it a try. And um, yeah, you know, thanks again for for coming on here and interviewing with us, Stu. And we look forward Absolutely. to any other projects that you got coming out. Uh, if they're a wild storm, you know, <laughs> you'd be, you'll be hearing from us, <laughs> of course. And if right. not, then we'll just have to, we'll just have to support it on the down low. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, great guys. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me. And I'm really glad you're enjoying the, uh, the series. So anytime. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, thanks a lot. All right. Have we reached the end? All right. <laughs> <laughs> we have. This is the end, my friend. <laughs> <laughs>